Get ready for a little surf and turf action on Midnight Run Through, a podcast miniseries devoted to celebrating the 1988 contemporary classic action buddy comedy Midnight Run, written by George Gallo and directed by Martin Brest. Co-hosted by me, One Heat Minute Productions' Blake Howard. And me, Jen Johans from Watch With Jen. Each week, we'll explore the film we first bonded over when we became friends in 2019 by surfing through an incredible roster of guests from journalists to novelists and beyond who love it as much as we do. Digging into Serrano's finances and Alonzo Mosley's FBI files, come with us on Midnight Run Through as we crisscross the United States with the characters played by Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, John Ashton, Yafet Kodo, Dennis Farina, Philip Baker Hall, Joe Pantoliano, and company on screen. Today... Our guests are Megan. Go for it. Yes. Uh, so I'm a crime novelist. I, I've written eleven novels. Um, eleven crime novels. I also write for TV, um, and I also do some work for Criterion um, uh, on camera and essays. Um, I'm going to be doing talking about um, Todd Browning in the forthcoming Todd Browning back set, uh, which should be great. I mostly talk about freaks and I and, um, and, and rather obsessively um, in great detail about every shot in the movie. Um, and um, yeah, and I'm a, just a big movie fanatic. So really excited to get to talk about this. It's a movie that I probably watch 35 times when it was on HBO in the late 80s. <laughs> My name is William Boyle. Uh, people mostly call me Bill. Um, I'm a writer, novelist, uh, written, I don't even know how many books there are now, six or seven, I think. Um, and hopefully have a new one on the way next year. And I uh, just wrote the uh, Criterion liner note essay for One False Move. Um, I have a story coming out in um, the Best American Mystery and Suspense 2023 that Steph Shaw and Lisa Unger edited and um, big, big movie fan and you guys know that and write a movie column for the Southwest Review every month and uh, it's great to be here. This is one of my favorite movies and I love you guys and excited to talk about this. But before we go any further, let's kick things off with Jack Welch's Old Turf with the ultimate question. Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? Yeah, I mean, I I could start by saying I just because I remember the context that it came out in, it it just was very unusual for De Niro. People who who are younger may not realize for De Niro to do this kind of movie. Certainly, anyone who's you know, there's so much comedy in a lot of De Niro's performances, even in Mean Streets and mm-hmm. King of Comedy of a different kind. But um, but he was just it seemed so unexpected for him to be in this movie. And um, and at the time, I also loved Charles Grodin, mostly from these sort of, you know, heaven can wait, these sort of, you know, sort of uh, romantic comedies that he he was often in at that time and the way he would show up on late night on, on David Letterman and, and things like that. So, I mean, it just seemed like an impossible combination. Um, and, uh, and and that that completely worked and um and also the thing that sort of 
is specific to 80s buddy movies is that, mm-hmm. that they're very adult movies in many ways um, in terms of their violence and their crime plot and their emotional resonance and and I feel like people stole all the wrong things from or got all the wrong ideas from Midnight Run have never been able to sort of put that mix together um, but also eminently rewatchable so yeah you would be the thing you would turn it on it would be on it like you know six o'clock on a Tuesday and you would pick it up in the in, in the you know in the bar scene or in the boxcar scene or and you would just watch you know all the way through to the end so uh it was just a, a perennial for me I didn't have I, you know I didn't have cable um I never really had cable um and so I never saw it that way I was 10 I think when it came out and um, so I probably didn't see it. I definitely didn't see it in the theater. I uh, probably didn't see it until, you know, the next year, whenever it came out on VHS 89, I guess. Um, and, you know, by that time I would have been, you know, already, I guess by 10, 11, 12, I was watching as many movies as I could. Mm-hmm. I was watching movies compulsively. And despite my last name, which is Scottish, my dad is Scottish. I grew up with my my mom and my mom's side of the family, um, for Italian and so I grew up you know heavily in a heavily Italian American neighborhood with my Italian side of the family and Robert De Niro was you know God you know to, to in the neighborhood and 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 the family um so I would see everything and anything with De Niro so I'm sure that's what what drew me in and it's kind of I mean I think to me it's kind of one of those movies that um shaped my taste like all the things I think of as um that I love the most uh you know this is one of those movies that kind of was was the the beginning point for me like road movie you know kind of uh, a little bit I mean it's not quite like a screwball movie but it's got elements of almost like screwball screwball noir kind of thing that I love um I don't know if it would fit neatly into that category but I think it's you know close enough um, you know, that kind of buddy action, road, comedy, just every, it's everything. And it's, and it's De Niro, you know, it's, I'd never certainly at this point, I'd only seen him as a kid. I'd seen him in, you know, whatever, King of Comedy and, and Taxi Drive, because I watched those movies way too young. Um, <laughs> and uh, We all did. We all did. <laughs> all that, you know, the, the Untouchable. This is probably like right up coming after the Untouchable, you know. So I'd never seen De Niro in a part like this. And certainly I was, you know, I think, I don't know if it's still true, but at some point, I think Midnight Run was kind of like the the most swears in a movie, you know. It was. I, I remember yeah. um, reading that. And that was attractive to me as a as a kid, you know, <laughs> who was just starting to watch like adult, you know, uh, or R-rated films. I shouldn't say adult films. I wasn't watching adult <laughs> films. Um, but, you know, R-rated. We, we got R-rated what you stuff. meant. We got what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different podcast. I mean. <laughs> Um, but I yeah, loved, it, was, it, yeah. It, it was huge. It was huge for me. And uh, I loved it. And I still I still love it. And like Megan said, and like you guys said, it's just so so highly rewatchable and so quotable and um you know that's not those things don't always mean that it's like all the way great movie and i think this is also all you know Mm -hmm. all the way great movie so yeah i love that you guys watched them young because i remember when it was a brand new new release on vhs which is when i saw it too it was one of the movies I don't know why I didn't grow up like sounding like a trucker because the movies I watched <laughs> the most as a girl were 
Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop, both were directed by Martin Brest, and Jumpin' Jack Flash, oh, uh, which is kind of crazy. Those were the three <laughs> movies on constant rotation in our household. And, you know, I grew up with a huge crush on Robert De Niro, and I think it was because of this film. And so I just love that you guys around the same time were watching these movies, because then it's like, okay, we would have been friends even back then. <laughs> I love that. Totally. It's funny that that like discoverability now you kind of passively have it, I guess, in streaming streaming. So like assault you with new stuff. And, and yeah. that's why um, I don't know if you guys have this, like on any of your streaming services, but usually like it, you know, especially some of the big ones are not like criterion channel or something, which has great, like little curated things. So you can go down nice rabbit holes, but it's like you scroll through and it just looks like all this garbage. And then like, you see a movie that you're liking, you're like, I'm just going to watch this again. And like, you know, particularly with my wife, she's like, again, I'm like, I just don't care. I don't, I can't be bothered getting a Blu-ray out of the shelf. I'm just, I want to watch something that is easy. And I just, you know, it, it, it comes. And that was the great thing about cable back in the day of, mm -hmm. of any kind, or even like, even in Australia, commercial TV, we just, I think they kind of would like see what rated and they just play movies over and again like every second saturday night is like a new adam sandler movie like that was like 10 years in the 90s um but like this is that early proto version of that it was like cable movies the lethal weapons were later the late 80s ones obviously buddy cop stuff like midnight run and they just play and play and play and then being in the background they kind of just start to get to you and that's that's the kind of movie that gets to me is the things that I put on in the background. Like I've told this story a few times to Jen is like when we did one heat minute, I was watching heat so much tactically for research purposes and preparation that I used to put all the president's men on in the background when I was working. And then after a while I started not being able to concentrate on what I was doing because all the president's <laughs> men was on. And then I was like, Oh God, there's really something here in this movie, isn't there? And then, and then, and then I was gone. Then there was the next project wrote itself, but that's the kind of, thing that midnight run has which you, you try and put it on just because you're like oh this is fun and you just then are completely transfixed like oh this movie just rules like, everything it's pens down now it's it's midnight run time i think that's so true i i talk about that a lot about that that sort of lost where you it, what you had no control over what was on and um and so you would watch and this is true of regular TV too. I grew up before cable when it was watching the Saturday movies and whatever was on was what you watch. And, and the fact it's sort of like when people would go to the movie and they would come in in the middle of the movie and then they would watch it till that point, you know, they would watch it. through. I do think there's something amazing about that because it makes you look at a movie a different way and from different angles. And it makes you think about scenes in a special way and it becomes like a film school really it really teaches you how to love movies because you're not just watching it to see what happens you're you're uh you know you have this sort of different appreciation for it because yeah. you're kind of stumbling upon it and and everything looks a little different each time because of where where you come in where you enter the story yeah what grabs your attention yes could yes. be a frame yeah. or a line delivery yeah. you know i have tea you know, just that <laughs> or just like an amazing, a, a, a amazing shot, like just an amazing shot, picking a lock. And you're like, Ooh, like that's, yeah. that looks like he's really picking that lock, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's a really fascinating way oh. to approach it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I again, I, I didn't weirdly, you know, I didn't really have that experience too much beyond like what was on network television. Um, Cause I didn't have cables. So I depended on the video store and I would often, I mean, I, my, 
my rewatching happened because usually I would take my grandparents' VCR and my mom's VCR and dub um, yeah. dub yeah. movies. Yeah. Yes. And so that was how I got to rewatch stuff. And I would only really do that with stuff that I love. And, and Midnight mm-hmm. Run was certainly a movie that I, I did that with. And I think maybe by the time I was, you know, um, I can't remember when VHS got affordable, but as soon as it was yeah. like, you know, 20 bucks to buy one or whatever, um, I think I started buying VHS tapes uh, instead of doing that so much. But oh, people had, definitely... this is a point in time, like you go and buy four hour VHS tapes and you'd yeah. be saving things and you're like, oh, and yeah. you're like, all right, I can get two, two and a half movies or maybe <laughs> Or maybe you're doing the math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, God. I did, I would bring. I I would have a VHS tape, and I did. Like I said, I didn't have cable, but when I would go to visit my dad occasionally, we didn't we didn't see him that much, but I would go there on weekends sometimes, and he did have cable, and I would just bring a VHS tape, put it in, and record what was ever on, <laughs> yeah. like I didn't know, and then bring it home and watch it and hope I caught something. I'm good. <laughs> Kids are today just never going to know this life. <laughs> We're just no. never going to know double taping life. Never, no. never going to know recording off the TV and pausing so that the ad breaks happen. You just never, you yes. guys don't know. You're never going to know. Keeping your fingers crossed that it doesn't run out. <laughs> it's going to work. Yeah. But also, I think, especially with something like this, you watch it for different reasons when you're young. And I know rewatching it later, there's things that stand out so much more that just flew by me as a kid. And I think certainly the visit to his his oh. ex-wife and the daughter, which now just kills me. It's just a mm. devastating scene. And those actresses, Wendy Phillips, and I don't know the one who plays the daughter, who I don't it's, think- it's Dan- it's, Her name's Danielle Duclos, and she hasn't done really much after this, Jeez. but she was spellbinding. Oh. Yeah, so she natural. just rocks you. Uh, you know, she this her expression, the way it's so expertly done, and it tells you so much. And uh, and it changes the movies change thereafter, um, and it varies the sort of weight of that. And and it just never. I'm sure I paid no attention to it at all when I when you know when I was a teenager watching it. But it that's what's so great about movies like this that you just sort of watch over and over again over the course of your life. I think too the be curious to see what bill thinks of this i'm always surprised at how they're not types as most buddy movies you have a type you have the the quiet Mm -hmm. quiet guy the psychopath or the or the straight arrow one and the you know and the lunatic but they're both have like unexpected qualities in them that they bring out in each other because Groden is really much more of a loose cannon in his own own way. And and De Niro is in some ways this, you know, a very soft person too. And is the one that's sort of going through this sort of journey of himself. So I always forget how many different facets of their personality emerge. Yeah, I agree. And I was just reading about that scene with his um, ex-wife and daughter that 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 was that was heavily scripted, that scene. Uh, Mm. And the original script was a lot more was written and it was De Niro who said who like was like, no, they should talk less. They should say say less, you know, Um, and that that scene, I think that's yeah, that's a perfect example of how how something changes for you from, you know, for me watching it at you know, 12 obviously uh, is much different from watching it now at 44. Um, and yeah, and I, and I totally agree about the, the, the fact that they are not, I mean, I think that's one of the things I love is that they're not types, that they're not, you know, they don't, 
stay within some some lines or some box that that some studio executive said this needs to be this kind of person and this needs to be this kind of person they're kind of both messy and unexpected and in lots of ways i love that yeah yeah, I had read, this may have already come up for you guys, but that the screenwriter, George Gallo, said that they were based on his parents. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. No, and that I guess his father was sort of a nervous man and his mother was just the sort of reserved. And then and then we just sort of wait for him to have his little anxiety attack and then steamroll right through <laughs> and make what happened happen. So that he, um, that dynamic, he thought was so funny the way they talked to each other. And, and I love that. I idea because uh in many ways that it is a romance really between the it two is. it's always surprised I always forget how emotional it gets at the end with the two as it is a love scene at the end uh, and De Niro really goes for it in some ways it's uh, like you can't even believe that that they're that they're going sort of this far and I think it makes sense given the the DNA that this was um you know this sort of old bickering old married couple <laughs> yeah Grodin has said that this was the the fullest character he had played at that point he said you know everyone thinks it would be my guy and the heartbreak kid and that was a great role but it was a little more narrow and he said this was like a full man with different sides and his most complex character and I thought that was really interesting that he was kind of looking back on his career and thinking this was the character that he got to play all these different facets and I think for exactly those reasons yeah, yeah I remember reading you know talking about what Bill was saying about types and like studio you know studio that they, that they were you know Brest was able to keep them free of studio interference because I feel like the trick yeah. Roden's character pulls out, out of his sleeve, the studio note would be, this guy wouldn't know how to pull this kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, this is an accountant. What does he know? But of course, people are very complex. And uh, he's a mob and, account. He's a mob account. Exactly. He's like, he's a mob account. He's, he's anything. He's very he's, shifty. He's, you know, taking this enormous risk. You know, he's obviously has this sort of uh, whole different energy, and mm. but that 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 would be the note, and the fact that they were able to um, um, make some full character to resist be becoming types. I love what you yeah. said, Megan, there about the research of them being an old married couple, because the line that I immediately thought of there was just like, you know, a restaurant's a bad investment. You know, like just that. I I've literally heard like aunts and uncles like, oh, you know, that thing you want to do, that dream, that dream you have. Well, it's yeah. a bit risky. You know, I've run the numbers and and the the other their partner just looking at him like, why why do you trample my fucking dreams all the time? You know, like that yes. that's just it's so right, you know, like why can't you just let me have a fantasy? You know, like let me enjoy, yeah fantastic or the smoking and the eating like you keep doing stuff that's bad for you even though you know yeah, yeah. and yeah. my my favorite my favorite line in the movie which is when he comes back on the the, the freight train and says i'm not talking to you for the rest of the trip jack no, shut up. I'm not talking to you for the whole rest of this trip. <laughs> the best. Anyone who's been on a road trip with their family knows that. Yeah.
Right. In that famously improvised, <laughs> improvised line with, with Grodin with the, have you read Sex with an Animal, which is like, like a <laughs> good looking chicken. Yes. I mean, <laughs> way to get De Niro to really, uh, really <laughs> I mean, what Bill, what you were saying about it being a screwball comedy, as soon as you said that, I thought there's a little bit of Sullivan's travels in this. Um, oh, yeah. You know. You have the box car and you have the um unusual couple thrown together that um it has to become a team um and, and the romantic energy between them <laughs> yeah no that's a perfect point of comparison yeah and married couples it's like when someone says you've got a vice and they always like chip you about it like the the the, the de niro response of like oh oh yeah oh interesting um, yeah interesting he just keeps smoking <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah okay cool yeah <laughs> Like just because it's like I'm done. We're not arguing about this anymore. This is is what it is. So it's happening. It also remind reminded me so much on this rewatch. I mean, you know, I know this movie came after, and Midnight Run is certainly not an influence on it. I don't think, but the way that De Niro talks to Groden in particular is like the way that Vincent Gallo talks to Christina Ricci in Buffalo '66 yeah. a lot of the time, oh. um, which is. Just, you know, the, you know, like, I'm going to stick your head in the toilet bowl and make it stay there or whatever he says, you know, um, it's just a similar, like, you know, I don't know. It comes back to what we're talking about. I think that that kind of like romantic energy, like violent <laughs> romantic energy or whatever. Exactly. And and like Christina Ricci's sort of deadpan and Charles Grodin's dryness. It's the perfect. Yeah opposite for that <laughs> you know that, that i think it drives both the other characters crazy that you know you can't <laughs> shake them with their their extreme words and i think it's you you know you love all the great character actors in it um i always just i'm dazzled by i always forget how many are in it uh, but you always yeah. want to come back to the two of them you just you know you're always eager to get back to the core We'll be back after this quick break. Um, it's also also funny. This is the first time that I've thought about this, Jen, in one of our conversations is that whole um, when you're with a partner for a time, like one of you has an irrational fear and, <laughs> and like how, did hero threatens to kill Grodin with the dog. He's like, I'll shoot you through the shower, but get the fucking dog away from me. It's, yes. like, it's like, that's such a married couple screwball comedy <laughs> thing of like, I, I, I've got a gun. I'll shoot you. But this dog, you got, you get it away. I'm scared of the dog. He's not scared of shotguns. He's not scared of no. shooting down helicopters, jumping off of boxcar trains. Like he's not scared <laughs> of tackling someone out of a flying away plane, but a dog that's barking, even when he's holding a gun, he's irrational fear. It's, fantastic it's a great um, character note yeah yeah it, it, unexpected it's exactly which is why i sort of love what comes right after when they're on the airplane and de niro is so excited to be getting <laughs> first class treatment and like he's like you know, napkin, he's flourished with a napkin i think i'll have the steak what do you have <laughs> and you just sort of see that sort of all sort of spit you know, all going down but he's so excited for this and like that's a you know, that's, they just wouldn't do that now. The bad version of it is that he's all business and he needs to get him there. But the fact that he wants to enjoy this mm -hmm. champagne, will have the best champagne, the best that you have. <laughs> it's just so fabulous. 
you were talking about some of those other character actors. Who are your favorites? Yeah. Uh, because I feel like in in both of your work, you guys have these wonderful side characters that your different mm-hmm. leads a- approach. And so that's what I love about this film, feeling more like in the deeply crime, you know, genre, which is that there are no small role, like the, the in crime movies, I think they get that, like there's no small parts. There's like amazing mm-hmm. room for you to stretch. And in this movie, when you look down the list and it's like Yafet Kotto, John Ashton, Dennis Farina, Joey Pants, um, you know, Philip Baker Hall, it's so full and just overstuffed that you're like, oh my God, everyone is great. So who, who are your favorites? Yeah, I mean, all those guys you just named, I love <laughs> obviously I think to me, it's, you know, Dennis Farina when he's on screen is just totally yes. electric. Um, and I love all those other guys, but he's just so good. And it, it would have probably been, I guess, you know, the first time I saw him in anything. I can't remember if Crime Story mm-hmm. was right before this or, or what, uh, or right yeah, at the same time. It, probably a whisker after. Or you might have done this Manhunter. and then Crime Story. Manhunter, though. You probably yeah, saw. Manhunter first. And oh, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, his very first role was in I wouldn't see, I don't think I saw Manhunter until after this, though. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's he's uh, he's incredible in it. I just think he's he's perfect just every line delivery is perfect and you know obviously i'm i love the connection to um pta and heart eight and the sydney character is fascinating to me and you know it's been something that's drawn me back to to this movie just thinking about it in connection with that movie so um those are two big ones for me but yeah joey pants is amazing yafik koto is always incredible he's one of the greats ever yeah yeah I, I had it's so funny I would I, it's hard like I feel like I could make the case for any of them but I was especially tickled this time by John Ashton because he's it's sort of like you know he so doesn't know what's going on but he so has the force of like uh, I just he's just this force he's just gonna do whatever he wants and when it works in your favor it's great <laughs> when it works against you but he's, he's you know he's I think wasn't he supposed to originally die? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just watching. Yeah. I was watching the Blu-ray extras, and the the writer was talking okay. about. Yeah. That. I can see why because he puts himself in like full force danger in these situations, <laughs> and it's like he he is just so one directional that he cannot fathom that um that there might be other stuff going on and his blind stupidity about any anything that's occurring around him and his sheer belief in himself to get what he it just makes me laugh every time he shows up I just laugh I don't he's in a lot of good things and I would just remember him showing up in a lot of teen movies as the adult character and things yes he this he really gets to shine I think and you just always love when the, when the character actor gets to uh take on something like this it does depend on this mix of more florid baroque characters like uh you know and then and then he's really people doing it really straight and Dennis Farina is very funny but it also works because he's very scary you know you scared of him and and you need that you need that menace that's what makes this not just the language but it feels like something bad could you know in the spirit of you know, 48 hours or other of these kind of movies from that era, violence does happen in that. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure you're ready for it. And I, that's, I think, what makes it a grown-up movie. 
I love what you were saying about John Ashton because you pointed out the teen movies and I was like, yeah, this was around the time of some kind of wonderful. Yes, and it was also right yeah. after yeah. Beverly Hills Cop. And so he was like kind of a straight man in that. And yeah. then he was the dad and, you know, you're going to college, Keith. And, yes. then, and then we have this Marvin character where he's like just really into it. It's great. Yeah. yeah that's one of the great, one of the great screwball gags in the movie too, is just De Niro, you know, Marvin. <laughs> and then at the end with the airport it's like you know peter uh, and peter and the wolf you know like i'm not falling for that yeah <laughs> i think it really speaks to the to martin brest like the tone is really he's the master of that for all these character actors to be doing what what they do and for him to be able to like weave it all together mm. and and give it that right energy because it it could all fall apart maybe in a funny way but that everyone's in a different movie but yes. somehow yeah. I think that that he really um you know I I, I had read that he was a, a you know a sort of taskmaster a difficult I think he his DP quit in the middle of it or something yes. so, yeah so I but I think he he knew what he needed he needed to do to to sort of hold all these parts together and and you really see how much it pays off <laughs> yeah that's incredible and I just I keep I was almost laughing just thinking about and when uh when Groden steals the, the plane and and yes. you're like you're, you're a goddamn pilot you're a god <laughs> just keep saying you're a goddamn pilot um, just in, you know the, the kind of the way that's balanced with that scene Megan was talking about at the beginning where he's in first class and Groden's putting on the act of being afraid to fly so these things so go down yeah <laughs> so good um and Groden yeah I mean you know obviously De Niro's incredible but um I, I love the I love the slow build of of Groden's you know just he gets he gets kind of by the midpoint, he, you know, there's these moments of kind of wackiness and you know, the look on his face when, when he shuts the freight train door on him and then that whole sex with a chicken scene. You know, it's just also <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's so hard to pick. I mean, I, I, I'm sure everyone is picking the litmus configuration scene, but I have to say, I think it is really like the consummation scene if this is a romance, because the fact that De Niro is just rolls right with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so good at it looking at the bills like this is when they've truly come together and and they have found one another and it, <laughs> and it sings like that moment in a screwball comedy you know because it's often like that in a screwball comedy too when they fall down water you know like waterfall together which we also you know like you know the, that that's when it all comes together but when they have sort of performed this perfect unit together and and I think um, that, that that there's just nothing that, that tops that is that chemistry between them. I will say I do have a soft spot for the um, I'm going to get us some donuts. It's so random. And I just love, um, I love all those little details that, you know, I think that they totally sell it. And, and you know, I, I've never sort of changed killing off a character in the middle like that. But um, 
I am always impressed at how meticulously plotted this movie is, such that every yeah. time I have to think about what, uh, you know, who knows what, when, where, you know, yeah. I, it, it, it is a real, real marvel um, uh, with all those sort of elements coming together and the, the track across the country and the timeline, <laughs> who knows who won, who's using the Mosley name now and, <laughs> and all of those elements. So I think that's it for, for me too. And the kind of noir aspect of the of the haunted pasts of so many yeah. um and the way that keeps coming back and, and they're all entangled right it's the, yeah. there's a yes. great the, and and it's nice to you know the the serrano shadow is yes. is over a few of them and so like that's the great thing about a noir is like the investigation you find out that you're entangled in it and exactly. then the investigation you're doing you don't even doesn't even matter anymore. Like it's like, it's more about you. It's a journey of self-discovery in some respects, which is awesome. But it's like, that's, what's cool about this. It's like, it, it follows those beats, but in a very exciting way. And you talked about the donuts. I just love when Charles Grodin in that litmus configuration scene, asked the guy if he dyes his hair, like <laughs> I, will yes. fall, I will fall off a couch. I can't even <laughs> handle it. It's just the way he looks at you dye your hair. Bang! I'm just—it's all over. <laughs> Ten minutes. Pause the movie. I got. I just need a break. I need to have it air. It's the most ridiculous line in a movie that has got fantastic, ridiculous lines. I'm just like, do you die He's pausing alone. Like, he. No oh one can God. work a pause like Broden. A pause. <laughs> like, <laughs> when he when he like pounds the counter and then he and De all look at each other. You know, like, yep, they gave twenties here. I, I love. That. <laughs> I love what you were saying, Megan, about like when things were doled out plot wise, because it is kind of like a noir. I always forget that it takes to that scene in the train, like with the chickens, but it turns serious yes. for us to finally figure out the deal with the watch right. and the whites. Yes. Because they'd kind yeah. of been teasing out certain details. And then finally you get, and it's really late into the movie. Yeah. And it suddenly makes it kind of heartbreaking. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it keeps. I mean, it keeps so much uh, of that backstory under the surface in such a, an effective way. I think. I mean, there's a much. I can imagine a much much lesser version of this movie where they felt the need to show flashbacks or kind of you know yeah. fill in that fill in that stuff. And we could so not get effective. away with this movie without digitally de-aged everyone. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we could not get away with it. Yeah, we we would have Chicago scenes. I was going to say Chicago, terrible. 1978. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, those were the good times. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Megan was talking about the the you know just the the timeline, and I just was really struck this time by how the movie deals with time. I mean, I know it's set over a pretty compressed time frame, anyway, but even just the way it jumps between play there's kind of no fact there it doesn't it doesn't no. you know um it doesn't bridge the gap between like those sections or sequences in awkward ways i think it's just kind of you're there and you you buy it and geographically i mean i guess geographically it makes some kind of wild sense but it is also very wild like it's wild that they're in chicago and then amarillo and then you know the, um, and so I like thinking about that this time, kind of the trajectory of the, the, the trip. Yeah, there is almost an element where it feels like they're going back in time because there's their tech, yeah. the, the, you know, the travel technology changes and, and there's something classically like westward frontier about it too. And I, I think that, 
you know, and then of course, you know, you, then you have to end in the terminus as Los Angeles, which is another classic noir. Uh, and yeah. also an ending in an airport with money is like classic noir ending. <laughs> like, yeah. Name 15 noirs that end in an airport with who's going to get that money. Uh, so. <laughs> I read today also that there, I, I don't, I can't, you know, I didn't check this, but there in scenes where there going east they're always facing east and then scenes where they're going west they're always Ooh. facing west um which is something he was martin Bre martin breast was obsessive about that's so funny yeah no wonder his dp quit he's like Marty, <laughs> the light is awful the right light now. is not good yeah. it's not good Marty. <laughs> i know they had to shoot part of the I guess it's the water scene in New Zealand. I read, yes. yeah. like yeah. you know, so yeah, meticulous to detail. And I wonder how much of it was of because the season had changed and um, it was too cold. Right? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then I think that gives it this almost Wizard of Oz like quality. I think you're talking about Bill, where this sort of it's sort of like they everything else is in time, but they sort of exist out of time. Yeah, way. they leave. The grid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I don't, you know, you start to lose track of the, the days, I mean, which is, which is part of the fun of it, I think. I mean, you know, there's not like, again, a much lesser version of this movie kind of has a ticking clock or something. And, and uh, I love the shagginess of this, that you're just kind of, you kind of aware in the beginning that he has until Friday at midnight or whatever, but you don't really ever don't think about that, you know, at any point <laughs> during the trip, except when they're <laughs> talking about, like, I have. 13 hours to get you back or, or, you know. But it makes great choices, just like really classic functional choices of like, they're in a car, it's late at night and they drive hundreds of miles overnight and we don't need to see that. Right. Yeah. No. And it just makes the choice to cut and then the next chaotic in the morning and then they get on the bus and the bus goes for X amount of hours. <laughs> and other than the preliminary conversations, like we don't need to see the rest of the bus trip. And then it's on the box car, they're on the box car, they're established, da, da, da. We know they're on overnight, so they have their overnight bit and then they're off. And it's just like, this is smart. When we need to pause, when we need to have some dynamism, when they need to have an interaction and there needs to be, you know, this moving exposition or like getting to know character. Um, I think that that's the mastery is like every bit of exposition also is like laced with character stuff. Like even mm -hmm. just the approaches of how to do exposition to move the story forward is all done like, you know, you ever have sex with a chicken, like it has to be couched in all this weird, wonderful character detail. And so then you never feels like you're having to sort of eat something healthy when you want your cake. Like, cause the, it's just, it's just kind of all there, you know, the math on the tipping on the train, yes. you know, and then we get, yes, exactly. All that. Making me laugh thinking of them carrying those grocery bags and they <laughs> drop them. Yeah. Which is like great great exposition too. And it's like a, the um, glee, the glee of him yeah. walking out and then oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he got I mean I, there were like cans in that bag, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What the plan cans. was. I don't know what the plan was. <laughs> And his, I keep I kept thinking about that is that that's when he leaves his his wife's car in Amarillo mm -hmm. right his ex-wife's car in Amarillo yeah don't worry he went and bought her a new car <laughs> yeah and got her a new car straight away after that this has been Midnight Run Through with Blake Howard and Jen Johans we'll be back next week with another episode but until then see you in the next life see you in the next life <laughs>